Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. Someday that will change. And so far. Nope. Now, in this episode, these days, brewing a bag seems to be the primary way to get people to brew all grain. I think uh, when you turn around, I can't think of the last time I saw somebody ask me how you make a mash done. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and then when you add in all these sort of malt pipe systems, you know, like the all ones, like the Grandfathers that Denny and I use, or the Anvil Foundry, or the Brazil, the Rubber, the right? Those are really just brewing a bag as well. So we figured it would be a good time for us to revisit what we do when it comes to the wonderful world of brewing in batch. But before we get into that, here's some messages from the people who make this show possible. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. The Seltzer Sensation is here, and our friends at Mangrove Jacks have specifically formulated their newest craft series yeast for making home-brewed hard seltzer. The Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer yeast and nutrient produces a clean, neutral flavor and aroma profile, allowing you to get creative with your hard seltzer recipe. Homebrewers can use this blend of yeast and nutrient in their own seltzer recipes or choose from one of the new Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer recipe kits, which are formulated to make up to 5 gallons of refreshing 4.5% seltzer. The kits come in three thirst-quenching varieties, Raspberry Breeze, Lemon and Lime Smash, and Pineapple Sunset. All right, thank you, everybody, and welcome back. Remember, if you uh, interact with any of our sponsors, let them know that you heard about them here on The Brew Files. We appreciate it. Now, let's dig into the topic at hand. We've talked about brewing a bag in the past. Denny and I have both done plenty of brewing a bag. We also are both dedicated all-in-one brewers these days, which is a big change. Denny, when did you build your first mash done? Oh, I would guess it was probably sometime... Uh in late 98 or early 99, that that would be 1998, 99. <laughs> when you built that mash ton, was it with the, the toilet braid or did you do the old copper slot thing? No, I never did one of those. Um, what, you know, I, my very first one was a very small, like a three-gallon cooler that had a sure screen in it. And from there, it was just a, a short leap to a bigger cooler with the uh, hose braid in it. Right. And for me, I started actually in a kettle 
And I built myself a nice little copper ring that went around the outside of the kettle and had a, a spur that went to the center of the kettle with a bunch of holes drilled into it facing down, you know, all that stuff where we all had to worry about, you know, mash draining dynamics. <laughs> oh, really fluid flow dynamics. That was, you know, that, that was why I never made one of those. Well, and the thing I, I remember is at least the early versions of How to Brew, and I think the version on online still has it, was John's studies about fluid flow dynamics and how it was really important for you to to space all these things correctly. Right, right. And, and of course, now that's all gone out the window. Yeah, of course. Brewing a bag, just to catch you all up, started really in Australia with the what tool fabric bags that people made themselves, and it's really just a big strainer bag. Instead of having to have a separate mash done and a separate separation system and all this, it's literally just put grain in bag, let bag serve as a big tea bag slash coffee filter, whatever you want to call it. Not quite a mash filter. If anybody ever makes a homebrew version of a mash filter, I'll be impressed. But it's simplicity in itself. But as with all things, you know, it's time to, you know, kind of step back and take a look at some things that we recommend about it. And keep in mind, I don't think brewing a bag should be considered controversial anymore like it was when it first started because there were a lot of people who complained about you're going to get murky wort, you're going to get astringent wort, you're going to get low quality beer out of it. And I think now after after about, what, 15 years, I think it, all that stuff is sort of settled. You know, and, and that is exactly the same thing that I got when I started uh proselytizing for uh, for batch sparging. People say, oh, no, your beer quality is going to suffer. There was a homebrew shop owner someplace who kept insisting you would make dirty beer, you know? So it's just a, it's just a question of people not trying things and making up their mind before they try them. Well, yeah, somehow it offends them. Yeah. By the way, also to put a little historical piece of context around this, there's nothing magical about the whole false bottom type of commercial brewing vessels there's nothing magical about stainless steel toilet braids or you know r- copper rods with holes and slots cut in them if you go back and look at history there's been all sorts of different ways for people to separate the grains from the liquid to be able to get something that you can drink and the one i always kind of remember in my head from i want to say it's like the 1600s maybe earlier that maybe later were these woodcut diagrams of brewers shoving these sort of woven cones into the mash yeah like baskets yeah exactly they'd shove those into the mash and let the basket filter all the grain away and then liquid kind of seep into the basket and then they'd ladle the beer out of there much more tedious but still a perfectly valid way of doing it well sure man and you know that was high tech back then so let's walk through a couple of things that we think that you should keep in mind when you're doing brew in a bag, or if you're using one of these all-in-one systems, because again, at least to my point of view, brew in a bag, malt pipes, kind of the same dynamic. First one, as with all things with the mash, the crush. Now, Denny, what do you always say about the crush? Crush till you're scared. And with a brew bag, boy, you're really allowed to crush until, you, until you're scared. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's your crush is really going to be depending mainly on your system and uh, secondarily on the the exact grain that you're using. Uh, I crush till I'm scared on every batch, no matter what system I'm using, because my systems can take it. But 
you know, uh, Brew in a Bag is much more forgiving of a, of a finer crush. Uh, at least if you're using a real bag. If you're using one of the uh, all-in-one systems, uh, maybe not so much, but still somewhat. Yeah, I mean, stop and think what a brew bag is. It's a giant sack of holes. And really, any place that the wort can come out, it will in a brew bag. So that is one of those things that's wonderful for this. And so the biggest mistake we always hear people lament online, at least, is I missed my gravity. And you'll see people like, I think the one I saw the other day was like, it was supposed to be a 1054, but I hit 1052. (laughs) I've seen those too. It's like, wait a minute, you can't even measure that close. Yeah. So one, if you're that close, you're okay. On the other hand, if you miss your gravity by say like eight points, then more than likely your problem is your crush. And that's the reason why we always say crush until you're scared. With a brew bag, you have even more room to crush. So now again, since you're not making a mash filter, you don't want to hammer mill this into flour. But don't be afraid of actually producing a fair amount of flour. Yeah, I mean, with with the bag, it's going to lauder just fine. So, uh, or, or it should. I, I guess I, I can't guarantee you that it will, but uh, theoretically, uh, it should work fine. Absolutely. And, you know, and Denny, I mean, like, for instance, what do you use to crush? Uh, I have my old JSP uh, adjustable malt mill from, God, right around 2000, something like that. Yeah, that's that's old school. If I remember correctly, that one has just the single roller and kind of a, a steel wall or metal wall next to it, right? Uh, no, it's got it's there two rollers. Uh, you know, one one you drive and the other one is is free rolling. Oh, okay, yeah. It, well, no, there was one mill. Was that the malt mill? Yeah, that 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 might be Listerman's uh, malt mill for, yeah, that that did that. But uh, I just you know I crank my gap down as tight as it will go, and I use that for everything. And so far, so good. Right now, meanwhile, I have a Monster Mill MM3 that has three rollers because fancy. With that one, you know that's so forgiving that I'm not afraid of actually doing a real tight crush because I still get good grain husks out the other side yeah i mean i, I do too uh, you know i just i didn't feel like a three-roller mill would really buy me anything but you do it because you're into overkill absolutely so crush pay attention to it feel feel free to crush even harder than you normally would now our second piece and we've talked about this in multiple books now go small when Denny and I are mostly doing brew in a bag, if we're not using like our all-in-ones, then the way that we normally do brew in a bag is with yield simple five-gallon stock pot on a small induction plate. Right. And we put the bag in there. Now, what I think, Denny, you're usually doing what, like a two-gallon batch or a two-and-a-half-gallon batch when you're doing that? Two-and-a-half to three, yeah. And that's about that's about what I normally do. Now, the reasons for this, I mean, to me, like, as great an advantage as the the brew bag is from a from a viewpoint of simplicity, it also has the downside of being kind of floppy and uh, yielding kind of a mess, and also yielding a fair amount of weight. I think some of the numbers I've seen online say that for every pound of grain uh, that you that you mash in, in in a brewing bag situation before it drains, it's going to end up being about 0.5 gallons per pound which adds up pretty quick. And so one of the reasons to go small is because you don't have to lift as much. But the other reason to go small is, to me, it's a 
fun way to play with your beer. So if you're going small, it's relatively cheap to have a small system like this. I mean, I think what you and I spent $150 at the most. Yeah, something like that. Putting these two little systems together. So $150 along with actually a good quality malt bag. Uh, I think we both have brew bags, right? Yeah. So the brew bags are really nice and sturdy. But having that small little cheap system allows us to play around with a lot of ideas without having to take like a big monstrous brew day and all this sort of, you know, producing all this beer that we may or may not necessarily want to drink. And so if nothing else, to me, smaller batches give you the advantage of time. They give you an advantage of uh, financial because you're not spending as much on ingredients. And therefore, you can actually explore different ingredients, different hop combinations, different yeast strains, or really spectacularly wacky styles. In my mind, it's a lot easier for you to figure out what you're going to do with uh, two gallons of, say, your double raspberry habanero imperial stout that you age on turkey jerky soaked oak beans. (laughs) Wait, how do you soak turkey jerky? (laughs) I don't want to go there. But it's a lot easier for you to deal with two gallons of something really crazy than it is for you to deal with five gallons. Now, Denny, why do you normally do a small batch? Why? Because it's fast and easy. I can, uh, you know, when I'm doing brewing a bag, I can whip out like a two and a half, three gallon all grain batch and probably, oh, just a little bit over an hour, maybe an hour and a half because I do a 20 minute mash and a 20 minute boil. And still not dirty beer. Yeah, imagine that, would you? It's actually drinkable and enjoyable. Yeah, particularly, I think nowadays you can actually find more small kegs, too. Like, it used to only be that you can only find, like, the occasional rare three-gallon corny keg. But now there are people out there making, like, two, two two-and-a-half-gallon corny kegs. And you can find those, and those make a wonderful addition to your brewery just for something fun. Because even if you're not going to brew a small batch, you can make a small batch of flavoring. And add a normal beer to it and see what happens. Another reason to go small. And actually kind of tied in with that idea about going small. The other one that we're going to tell you, and this has become definitely more of a concern as both of us have gotten older, is don't try and be a He-Man. Again, that water weight, you know, particularly before the mash drains, adds up pretty quick when you're doing this. So even for like a nominally normal sort of batch of beer, say like you're doing five gallons at 1054 or so, which is about 10 pounds of grain, that 10 pounds of grain becomes much, much heavier. I think somewhere on the order of about like 40 some odd pounds of grain before the water drains away. And so it's very tempting to sit there and go, I will now He-Man lift this bag out of my kettle and hook it up to drain or do something with it. Be careful. Because I've got a bum shoulder. Denny, you got, I think, bum everything, I was going to say, yeah, my whole body's bum. Another reason to think small is you can lift less weight. Now, if you are going to still do a 5 or, God forbid, a 10-gallon batch or the metric equivalents thereof, then really consider doing what human beings have become known for, which is using mechanical assistance. Uh, you can go online to Amazon. You can go to your local Harbor Freight and go and buy a relatively inexpensive hoist. Or you can go and look at, you know, attach it to your ceiling, lift up the bag. Everything's grand. Or you can even take a lesson out of uh, 
uh, our good, uh, our good, you know, influence Alton Brown, who built like this whole thing and actually has plans online and we'll include a link to it of how to make a, a derrick that allows you to lower and raise, in his case, a turkey into a turkey fryer. But in our case, talking about a bag of mash, uh, you know, as long as you build it with good components, it's actually a fairly sturdy device and a pretty good and cheap way to actually build yourself a, a hoist. Uh, I'll take your word for it. It sounds just a little too Rube Goldberg for me when I'm dealing with hot liquid and heavy stuff. Yes, but at least you're not dealing with hot oil. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. But uh, uh, disclaimer, if you do this, uh, make sure that it's really, really sturdy when you do it. And don't come looking for us if something goes wrong. Part of the reason why we include this tip in here is because if you look at some of these, the particularly like the bigger all-in-one systems, Either the manufacturers will tell you flat out, use a hoist or a winch or something, right? I think when you when you have your big grandfather, don't you have a, a gizmo? Oh yeah, I, I have a, an electric hoist. I even use, I use it on both the G forty and the G seventy. G seventy is pretty much mandatory unless you have somebody else to help you lift. For the G forty, yeah, for some things I can lift it okay. For others, I can't. But it's like I've got the hoist, so why should I? Right. And then you even see like some of them, like, uh, uh who's it? Uh, the Braumeisters from Speedle. They, they come literally with a winch on the damn thing. Oh, really? I wasn't aware of that. That's a great idea. Well, yeah. Don't, don't you remember when we were down in Brazil, uh, Ronaldo's uh, system? It had a little, little crane on it. Well, you know what? I think maybe I'd been drinking. Yeah. The other reason to th- stop and think about this is if you tear up your shoulders, if you hurt your back, it means you can't be out in the brewery brewing beer. And where's the fun in that? Yeah, really. And this other tip actually comes from the one episode that we did on Brew in a Bag way back in the day here on The Brew Files. We did it with uh, Chip Walton. God, I think that was back when we were writing All-Stars, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. And Chip, at the time, you know, Chip is our good buddy from Northern Brewer and from Chopping Brew. His tip was to have a landing pad. So even if you don't have a winch or a hoist or a system to rig the bag up and hold it above your pot, Chip's advice was have a landing pad that you can put the bag on. And in his particular case, talking about a brand new cleaned Weber grill grate. It's pretty dumb and simple. Also works pretty well. So if you're, and works really well also if you're doing like, say, the small batches that we're talking about, because then you just lift the bag up, put the grate down. Plop the bag on it. And I, I just use a colander when I'm doing my small indoor batches. But, uh, you know, I, I'm always amazed when I see somebody using a, uh, a an all-in-one or doing brew in a, ba- a large brew-in-a-bag batch in the house because I'm, like, way too much of a slob to be able to get away with either one of those. Yeah, all you have to do is look at my garage floor in, in the aftermath. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a reason that I put a drain in the middle of my garage floor. So have a landing pad. I think, you know, it's one of the smartest ideas because you're not going to want to sit there and hold the bag or, you know, anything else. And if you don't have the space or if you're outdoors and you don't have a rig, a a clean grate will actually work. And by the way, when I say clean, I mean clean and new, unused for your barbecues and grills. You know, you don't want burger grease coming into your mash. You know, the way some people are making beers these days, I can see some people thinking that that was a plus. This is my backyard barbecue smoke beer. I mean, you know, if you're if you're putting chocolate cake into your mash, what's wrong with a little burger grease? Uh, I think chocolate cake at least has some advantages over burger grease. <laughs> 
All right, so have a landing pad. But now let's get into what I think is probably the most important thing. Crush is pretty important. Not breaking yourself is pretty important. Going small is pretty is pretty cool. Landing pad is just being smart. But water. Yeah. One of the things that I remember from back in the day when we were first talking about batch sparging, you had a lot of people freaking out about what that did to water chemistry. Now, brewing a bag, and particularly all the people out there who are doing full volume brewing a bag. So, in other words, no sparge. That's all just all the water's in the kettle right at the beginning. One of the things you have to keep in mind is even though we don't usually worry about things like mash to grain ratio, right, or the mash thickness, in this particular case, you kind of have to because, fine, it doesn't matter if you're doing a grain to or water to grain ratio of like, you know, say, oh, I did this at 1.2 quarts per pound as opposed to 1.5 quarts per pound. When you look at like a sort of a typical full batch brew in a bag, your ratio is something more like, oh, I think like three quarts. Three quarts per yeah, pound? something like that. But, you know, it's going to be high enough that uh, unless you have a whole lot of dark grain in there, probably the pH is going to uh, not come down into the range you need it to. Right. Because remember, when you're at that much water, you're, the buffering capacity of your malt is not going to be as effective as as you would be in a, in a regular thickness. And so, like, my water here in L.A. is slightly alkaline you know of course it depends upon the time of year and so i need help in order to pull that down and if i'm doing this sort of very very thin mash ratio then you really do have to pay attention to you know what you're doing in terms of your um in terms of your ph right so like for instance denny and i both use brewing water i know other folks out there are saying the praises of either uh Beersmith, or they sing the praises of Brewfather and their water calculators. We both use brewing water. You can use brewing water basically with a zero sparge addition and give it the right number of volumes and be able to actually predict what's going to happen with your pH. But given that this is sort of out of the realm of sort of normal water chemistry, we both highly recommend that you actually measure what's happening with your pH. Don't make assumptions about what's happening with it. Actually measure it. Because, again, this is sort of where you're on the on the bleeding edge of the curve in terms of what the equations will tell you. Right. Although, I have to admit that brewing water is so accurate that it's been a long, long time since I've measured. Yep. But, again, at least while you're starting, yes. do this. Yes. Right. right. Verif- measure a few times to verify that you're getting the results you think you are. And then you can just uh, put that pH meter away and not have to worry about it. Although, if you're like me and your water's changing all the time and not like Denning, who has a well. That's that's true. That's something I forget to take into account. Play it safe. Pay attention really to your water chemistry because in this particular case, the pH can swing around in enough weird ways at this sort of ratio that you really do want to pay attention and make sure that you're happening. Now, by the way, I know that there's a ton of people out there who are doing jack all about their their water chemistry and proceeding to mash and i make perfectly fine beer you hear them say well yes but you can make perfectly finer beer if you're paying attention to your ph right and and also you may have gotten lucky with your mash combinations and finally we can't leave brew in a bag without mentioning 
sparging. Now, not everybody has the room to do a full volume mash. In fact, a lot of times when I'm doing those smaller batches, I don't have a full full volume mash because five gallon pot, seven pounds of grain or whatever it is I'm doing, you know, it tends to take up a lot of space. So if you can't do a full volume mash or if you're sort of, uh, I don't know, weird and concerned, then it's perfectly fine to go and sparge. So again, like with the all-in-one systems, you're sparging anyway. Uh, in this particular case, if you can hoist your bag someplace and have it open just a little bit, you can just pour your water into the, uh, into the bag and let it drain. Or if you're using, say, Chip's landing pad idea, I know that what he would do is set the bag on the grate and then pour the water over the, over the bag and let it seep through. Now, naturally, that's not going to be terribly efficient, right? Because water is going to take the path of least resistance, which means that unless you're drip drabbing it, it's going to go around the edges of the bag a lot. Um, and lastly, the one that, you know, I've never done it, but I've seen plenty of people do it. And I don't know if you've done it either, Denny, is doing dunk sparging. No, I have not done that. All right. So the idea behind a dunk sparge is you heat up the amount of sparge water that you need in a separate vessel. You pull your bag out of your mash pot. You let it do its draining thing, right? Drip dry. Take that now semi-dry, but not really dry, uh, mash bag and dunk it into the pot of sparge water and let it sit. Maybe open the bag, give it a little stir, get the water going through it, and then pull the bag out of there after, you know, say about 10 minutes, pull it out of there and let that drain. And then that sparge water, which is now, in theory, rinsed all the grains in the bag, you pour into your main kettle and go. So it's a good idea if what you're trying to do is something maybe outrageously big. So if you're trying to do like a, a much larger beer, like say an Imperial Stout, I can see where dunk sparging can come in really handy. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a really interesting technique. I I would like to try it, I guess, sometime to see how efficient it really is. Uh, I generally I generally just put my bag in a colander and pour water over it. Although you know you had a tip about opening the bag up and making and pouring the water directly over the grain. That's not a bad idea. I try. <laughs> um. So. Consider consider doing a sparge. You know, if you can't do the full volume, there's nothing wrong with doing a sparge. But also consider finding a way to make sure that you're actually getting the water going through the grain. Uh, or you can just basically accept that you might have an efficiency loss. Because at our particular level, uh, what's another pound of grain? Yeah, right. Uh, that's kind of always my theory, too. Yep. Now, and of course, once you've done these steps, once you've got all that liquid separated from the grain, everything else about your brew day is absolutely the same. And we've got plenty of tips for you there. But <laughs> you're going to have to dig through 200 plus episodes of the show in order to find all of them. But once you get that water drained out of the, or the liquor, the, or the liquor drained out of the mash, uh, guess what? It's a regular brew day. That's right. Denny, anything else you can think to tell people about brewing a bag or an all in one, like our little tips? Uh, you know, I think that, uh, we pretty much covered it. It's a pretty simple procedure, really. And the, I guess the challenge is not to make it more difficult than it is. There you go. Don't overthink things, people. That's right. And then after you're done with the, the mash sparge or draining, that's when you can have a beer. Maybe. <laughs> that's what we do. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this quick look at our tips about brewing a bag and what we think you really need to pay attention to when it comes to brewing 
in sort of a batch fashion. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Click the AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... Our charitable cause right now is Canines for Warriors, uh, an organization that takes rescue dogs and trains them to help out uh, veterans who have uh, issues physically or mentally. So it's good stuff, people. It's veterans. It's dogs. Give us a couple bucks we can pass along. There you go. So now, until next time, remember to always brew wacky. Or brew experimental while you're playing the ukulele. Hmm. And the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Now through May 31st, get a quarter pound of H.A. Zamba hops when you join or renew your American Homebrewers Association membership with promo code ZAMBA. That's Z-A-M-B-A. ZAMBA. Get your offer details at homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental.